The Protestant Reformation, then and now, takes you on an exciting spiritual journey that explores church history in the 1500s, Bible prophecy in these last days, and the mighty issues facing each one of us today as we await the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Enjoy these eye-opening presentations with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. You have just tuned in to part eight of a 10-part series about the Protestant Reformation then and now. If you've been listening to previous messages in this series, you know that the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s was a Holy Spirit-inspired, back-to-the-Bible movement away from Roman Catholic traditions that had entered Christianity in Europe. In part seven, we zeroed in on the official Roman Catholic teaching that all fallen human beings are supposedly indwelt by invisible, immortal souls that supposedly exit the body after death. Some souls supposedly soar to heaven, others to hell, and others take a trip to purgatory. Then we compared this teaching to Bible verses like these. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible says that God alone has immortality. In Romans chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says that sinners are to seek for immortality through believing in Jesus and through doing good in this life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, Paul plainly says that true believers in Jesus who are mortal right now and not immortal will someday put on immortality on Resurrection Day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We also looked at Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, where God himself clearly says that souls do die. Quote, the soul that sins, it shall die. Then we talked about how God is calling for another reformation today away from the false belief that we humans have immortal souls and back to what his word plainly says. As I mentioned in part seven, I realize that this topic will probably raise a lot of questions, more that can be answered in these short programs. But many of these questions will be answered in the literature made available at the end of this broadcast. In part eight, I'm gonna focus on the experience of the one person who is the center of everything. He's the center of my life and hopefully he is the center of your life. That person is Jesus Christ himself. The title of this talk is, Did Jesus Christ Really Rise from the Dead? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you've been with me in all of these programs and you've been touching many hearts and opening many eyes and we pray for the Holy Spirit to do the same thing again right now. Please, in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'd like to start out by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. These are pillar Bible verses. They come from the Apostle Paul, and this is what he wrote. Quote, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died. And the word died is obviously spelled D-I-E-D. -E and we're going to focus on that. Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. These verses tell us that Jesus really did die for our sins. He really was buried, and he really did rise from the dead. This is simple, basic, and yet it's unfathomably deep. Again, the Bible says, and Paul wrote, Christ died for our sins. I don't think we'll ever really understand the depth of what this means. We're going to be pondering it throughout all eternity in some mysterious way. 2,000 years ago, or nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus took into his heart and mind the sins of all humanity, from Adam and Eve all the way down to the last person at the end of time. He suffered more than we can imagine. He wept in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. He agonized. And finally, he shouted, it is finished. He breathed his last breath, and then he died. I can hardly wait to see Jesus come again. I just can't wait to be in heaven, be surrounded by people who have lived throughout all ages, who have believed in him and have accepted him as their savior. Honestly, I really do long to join a huge number of saved people who gaze at his nail-scarred hands, who kneel down, who open their mouths, and who worship Jesus forever. Hallelujah. May that day come soon. Back to the Bible. The simple facts are that Jesus died on a Friday afternoon, a day which most people call Good Friday. Before sundown, his body was taken off the cross and carried to a tomb cut into a rock owned by a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. A stone was rolled away. His body was placed inside a dark tomb. The stone was rolled back. And there Jesus lay silently dead inside a damp tomb Friday night, all Sabbath, all Saturday night, until early Sunday morning. Sunday morning, a bright, shiny angel came down from heaven, rolled away the stone, and the Roman guards were absolutely terrified. Inside the tomb, Jesus' brain, heart, and organs suddenly began working again. He took a breath. His lungs filled with air. His muscles became strong. He sat up, and then he walked out alive. After his resurrection, Jesus was on earth for 40 more days teaching his disciples. Then he ascended to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, Jesus revealed himself to his disciple John while John was a Roman prisoner on the island of Patmos. When John first saw Jesus, Jesus' face was shining brighter than the sun. In verse 17, when John saw Jesus, this is what he wrote. This is Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death.
In this passage, Jesus told John, I was dead. And then he said, I am alive forevermore. Now, this describes two states. When Jesus said, I was dead, that's a death state. And then when he says, I am alive forevermore, that's a life state. And it's obvious that being dead and being alive, you just can't be both at the same time. But the immortal soul doctrine rejects this. It teaches that when Jesus was dead, he wasn't really dead. A few times in past programs, I've quoted from a large book called Catechism of the Catholic Church, published in 1994. It's the official book of Roman Catholic teaching. I've got it right here. And on page 164, under the heading of Christ Descended into Hell, this is what it says. Quote, Christ's descent into hell. His soul joined the others in the realm of the dead, but he descended there as Savior, proclaiming the good news to the spirits imprisoned there. The Catholic idea basically is that when Jesus died, it was only his body that died and was placed in Joseph's clammy tomb. His soul supposedly was still alive. His soul supposedly then left his body, descended to a fiery place called hell, joined many others, and there he supposedly proclaimed the good news of salvation to sinners imprisoned in that place. I can't help but wonder if this was really true, how many souls supposedly accepted Jesus' preaching. Uh, nobody really knows the answer to that question, and the whole thing is really quite murky. My question is, did it really happen that way? Was Jesus' body in the tomb while his soul floated around somewhere else? Let's take a closer look at the Word of God. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 31. In verse 22, Peter is talking, and he said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In verse 27, Peter is quoting David, where David wrote, You will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Then Peter continues quoting David, You have made known to me the way of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. And then Peter stops quoting David and says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this day. So when Peter looked back and thought about David, he didn't think David was in heaven or his soul flying around somewhere. Peter thought that David was dead and buried, and his tomb was with us to this day. And then Peter said, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, 
he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Now notice that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Now verse 31 is the key text. I just read it. I'll read it again. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So Peter is quoting David, but he's applying it to Jesus. And if you look carefully, neither Peter nor David are saying that when Jesus went down to hell that he did any kind of preaching. When you look at the text carefully, what's happening is that Jesus' soul and his flesh are actually described as being in a passive state, not an active state. And the reason why Jesus' soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption, was because God raised him from the dead. Now, being a little more technical, the Greek word here for hell is Hades, which simply means the grave. And again, the reason why Jesus' soul was not left in hell or Hades or the grave, and the reason why his body didn't see corruption was because in verse 32, he said that this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. In other words, and here's the point, it was the resurrection that prevented Jesus from staying in hell. There's no real picture here, when you really look at it carefully, of Jesus' soul leaving his body, going down to a hot place, preaching to sinners, and then triumphantly flying back up to Joseph's tomb and then being raised. Now, there is one verse in Peter's writings that is used to support this, but when you really read it carefully, that's really not what Peter is teaching. If that idea were true, then if you think about it, then Jesus Christ really never died. Only his body died, but not Jesus, not his soul. But in the Bible, it's very clear that Jesus Christ was really dead. And Jesus himself made that very plain. Again, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said to John, when he gave him a vision on the island of Patmos, he said, I was dead. And the word I means that was me. I myself was really dead, which describes one state. And then Jesus said, now I am alive, which is another state forevermore. And then he said, I have the keys of death and of hell. We know that the word hell or Hades literally means the grave because the same word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, in reference to God's saints coming up out of the grave in the future. Let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 55. Behold, I show you a mystery, wrote Paul. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And here the word sleep is the word that Paul uses to describe death. Death is like a sleep. It's an unconscious, uh, quiet sleep that, before you know it, you're awake on resurrection morning. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We read that in the last program. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now here's the key text. In verse 55, Paul said, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Now if you look up that word grave in the Greek, the Greek word there is Hades, which literally means Uh, or sometimes it's translated hell. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus went to hell because he went to Hades, which means the grave. And here in this verse, what's happening is the saints of God are coming out of the grave, which is Hades, which is sometimes translated hell, and they're coming out on resurrection morning when they hear the trumpet sounds. And so what's happening here is that the saints of God are described as being in Hades right now. They don't have immortal souls that were freed from there 2,000 years ago between Friday and Sunday by the preaching of Jesus. This is not what the Bible teaches. According to Paul, the saints are really dead. They're in a state of unconscious sleep. They're resting peacefully, and they are waiting for resurrection morning when Jesus Christ comes again. And then they will come out of the grave or out of Hades, and they will be shouting the shout of victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Hallelujah. I'd like to close our segment today with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 clearly parallels 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in this passage, Paul is also very clear about the topic of death, burial, and resurrection. And let's read this carefully. I'll start with verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul is writing to the early Thessalonian Christians, and he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. What was happening in Thessalonica was that some of the early Christians had died, and the living Christians who remained, they didn't really understand this topic, and they were grieving, they were sorrowing, and they were confused. And so Paul wrote them, and he said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. And again here, just like in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls death asleep. And back then, the living Christians, they weren't sure that they would ever see uh, their, their dead friends. And so they sorrowed. And Paul said, wait a minute, you have to understand that there is hope. And then in verse 14, Paul continued with a tricky text that we need to look at it carefully. Verse 14, Paul said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which I believe and I hope you believe, this is the basis of our whole faith. And this is our topic today. Jesus really did die. He was really dead. And he really did rise from the dead. So Paul says, if we believe this, that Jesus died and rose again, then he says, even so. In other words, in the same way that Jesus went down to the grave and rose up from the grave, 
even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And what he's saying is, just like Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, those who are sleeping in Jesus right now, God will bring up from the grave when Jesus Christ comes again. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And in my Bible, the word prevent points to a margin which says precede. So Paul's basically saying that those uh, who are alive and remain to the coming of Jesus, they will not precede them which are asleep. In other words, they won't go first. So the living won't go first when Jesus comes, and neither will the dead go first. They don't go ahead of us, and then we follow after at the second coming. No, we both go together. That's his point. And we'll see that in the next two verses. In verse 16, Paul continues, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. When Jesus comes, it's going to be so loud, there's going to be a trumpet sound, and there's going to be uh, cemeteries all over the world that are going to crack, and tombstones will break. And coming out from the grave, and from many graves, graves all over the world, will be the saints of God. The Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now think about this. If the dead in Christ rise, then where are they? They're down below. They're in the grave. The Bible doesn't say that when a person dies, their soul goes up to heaven, and then the soul comes down and enters the body and then comes back up again. That's not what Paul is saying. He says the dead in Christ, they are asleep, and they will rise. And remember, the soul is the whole person, as we talked about in a previous meeting. Just like it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that when God made Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that Adam became a living soul. And it's the same thing on Resurrection Day, when God breathes the breath of life back into the dust, and then the saints of God come back. They are resurrected, and they are once again living souls alive to then be with Jesus. Verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, referring to the dead who have been raised, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So here Paul is very clear that when the dead in Christ rise, then the living who are still alive when Jesus comes, and I hope to be one of those people, the living and the dead who are raised are then caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So the dead don't go first, and the living don't go first. The point is that both groups go together when Jesus Christ returns on resurrection morning. And then he says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul's point is that we get to be with Jesus, not at the moment of death, but when Jesus comes down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, 
That's when the dead in Christ rise. That's when the living are caught up. And that's when we get to go together to be with Jesus. And so, verse 17 says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is very clear. When do we get to be with Jesus? Not at the moment of death, not at the moment of sleep, but at the moment of the resurrection and at the moment of translation, when the dead rise and the living are caught up, then we get to be with Jesus. Verse 18 says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul is very clear here that these are the words of God that should be used to comfort us. These words of God are the truth. These words of God explain the truth about death, burial, and resurrection. These words of God teach the truth about when we get to be with Jesus. They tell us that we are unconsciously sleeping in the grave until Jesus comes, and then the dead are raised, and then we become immortal. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 55. These words really mean a lot to me these days because just this past week, I've been in Glendale, California, visiting my 89-year-old father in a nursing home. My dad and I are very close. We've been close all of our lives, and this has not been an easy time for either one of us. It's pretty clear to my family that my dad is on his, his last lap, but thank God he believes in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. During the time that I was with him, I read to him these very words from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17 and 18, to encourage him. I said, Dad, Jesus loves you. He's coming to get you. When you die, you will be out of pain and you will just be going to sleep. The next thing you'll know, your eyes will open, you'll wake up, and it'll be resurrection morning. And you'll have a new body and pain and death and sorrow will be gone forever. I'll see you then. Both of us were very comforted with these words of the Bible. I heard about an old saint on his deathbed who once expressed the true faith of God's church. He said, if you miss me, don't dismay. I may have to rest in a mound of clay, but when I hear the trumpet sound, I'm coming back out of the cold, cold ground. Dear friend, these are truths based on the Bible. And yet, in contrast to these teachings, the Roman Catholic Catechism, as I showed you before, on page 164, says that when Jesus died, he descended into hell, and his soul joined the others in the realm of the dead, and that he descended there as a savior to proclaim the good news to the spirits imprisoned there. Dear listener, in these last days, God is once again calling for a reformation. If you've listened to past programs, you know that this means a reformation away from false Roman Catholic teachings. It means a reformation back to the Bible, back to Jesus, back to salvation through repentance and simple faith in him. It also means coming back to the original Seventh-day Sabbath and away from the Roman Catholic teaching of the immortal soul and back to the simple truth of death, burial, and resurrection. Again, if you have any questions, check out the literature offered at the end of this broadcast. In our next program in part nine, we'll switch back to Bible prophecy. Our next title is End Time Reform and the Mark of the Beast. May God prepare your heart for more of his word.
You've been listening to The Protestant Reformation Then and Now with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. To learn more about this topic, order your copy of the inexpensive pocketbook titled Solving the Mystery of Death by calling 1-800-78-BIBLE, by ordering online at whitehorsemedia.com, or by purchasing the ebook on amazon.com.